Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh my! Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far ought to have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 37 of The Roundtable. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy McCullough and Mark Craig. Gentlemen, let's just get right into it. Uh, Carlos Correa with the Brewers. The fit to me is tremendous. What are you guys thinking about Correa on the Brewers? You knew when they moved Colton Wong and Hunter Renfro, they were clearing a spot, right? And, you know, there was obviously the physical drama there are no doctors in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, they were recently you know, sort of outlawed. And so it makes a lot of sense, you know. Uh, one year, $75 million, you know, get the most out of what you got from Woodruff and Burns. It's going to be fun. You know, really excited. Brew Crew's back. They really thread the needle on this. You know, they thread $75 million in one year through the needle. I love it. Aggressive move. Do you feel like you have anything more to say, and I'm talking about ever, about Carlos Correa? <laughs> like, is he banned from our podcast? Like, yeah, it's we not just, his fault. No. no, but like, we don't never need to mention him again. Like, I feel like... This poor guy, you think he told the plate to move? <laughs> this poor guy? Like, Carlos I, I, I will continue saying, Carlos Correa is like a top 10 player in baseball. He's awesome. Like, he's so good at baseball. And so if you're the Twins, I was talking about this uh, with someone recently, right? Because someone asked me basically like, okay, why? Okay, so we understand why the Mets, the 12-year deal fell apart, right? Why didn't the Mets do the six-year deal? Like you're still and, – and the way, the way the person explained to me and it made a lot of sense is that 
the Mets can go get Manny Machado next year. They can go get Shohei Otani next year. They can, you know, do whatever they want financially. If you're the Minnesota Twins, this is like your one chance to get a five to seven win player on like a below market deal. Like you have to do it. Like you have to do this essentially. And so six for two hundred, while it was apparently like fifty million more than what the Mets asked, and you know, a uh, hundred and twenty-five million more than the Brewers one year offer. You kind of have to do it if you're the Twins because this is like the only way to have access to that type of player. It's the same reason why they had to sign Byron Buxton, even though Buxton's going to play ninety games every season. You know, you just have to have. You, you can't let that player go because. In terms of the free agent market, they will never have access to that level of talent. The other part of this, too, is that they have the player already for the last year. So no one's going to know him on that market better than the Minnesota Twins. Certainly the Mets had the question marks. The Giants have the question marks. Well, they didn't have the player. Whereas at least Minnesota's dealt with him for a year. I think, you know, and, and to Andy's point, yeah, like the... You know, credit to those guys like Falvey and all of them because, you know, Thad Levine, they understood. Um, as Andy said, this is your one shot to get somebody at that level. You can't miss. So I think a combination of recognizing the urgency of the situation, but also, hey, they had a year head start. They've had a chance to evaluate this guy on multiple levels, not just physically, but also how he fits what he does for them off the field. You know, they're not having to take somebody's word for that. They've lived through it. So I think that was a smart thing to do. If you're going to take a risk, do it with someone that you've got some kind of history with already. Gentlemen, these are measured takes. I prefer my Correa takes to have histrionics behind them. I prefer, it's like I've been served a a bowl of delicious jambalaya, but there's no spice. No one's yelling at each other. This is all very reasonable and I agree with all of it and I hate it. Like, come on, isn't someone like at fault? Isn't someone bad? Boris, can't we say he's evil or is it, or the owners? I can't keep track. Someone's, someone's bad. It's Farhan. They're bad. (laughs) It's far. Yeah. Farhan owes me a phone call. So for now, let's blame him. What year is this? How many, what's the backlog now on that? Well, yeah. Gosh. Unread text messages over and over and over. Anyway. Um. You know, I thought Ken Rosenthal, our esteemed colleague, uh, wrote a very interesting and sort of nuanced um, sort of piece examining Scott Boris's role in it and basically posing the question, right? Like, did Boris, like, you know, as we like to say on the show, did he biff it, right? Like, did he misread the market? And and it's kind of like, you know, and what Ken came to the conclusion based on reporting and, you know, similar to the conversations I've had with people, you know, because I'm also a journalist who talks to people. Not really. Like, the guy flunked the physical twice. What are you supposed to do? Like, you don't, like, come into the, uh, you know, the the negotiating table and you're like, hey, just so you know, there might be a chance that his ankle has a real problem. You know, like, you got to, you know, he and he still got him $200 million. So that could go to 275 Not bad. I thought his pivot, his immediate pivot to the Mets was brilliant because what he, I thought what he was trying to do, and I'm just a a novice on the outside, but I thought he was trying to do something like get Steve Cohen to make dumb comments to the press and give Boris back some of the leverage that he lost when the Giants pulled out. And I think that happened. The Mets just, Cohen just maybe checked himself at, at the right time for the Mets to to get into that $300 million deal. But I thought that initial play was brilliant. And then once that fell through, he's a little bit, okay, there, there's not as much leverage, but he still did well. Yeah. 
you don't have the Dodgers, right? You don't have the Yankees. The Red Sox are doing interesting things. I uh, had no idea Trevor Story was hurt, apparently. I bet you the Giants would have loved that deal of the Twins, but the, they went out and they signed Conforto, and the, you know they spent that money at uh, uh, Rogers and stuff. You can't spend both of that. You can't have Conforto and Correa. No budget can... <laughs> are you kidding me? Is that a serious thing they're trying to argue? No, no, no. I'm That's not saying nuts. it's right. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We took a shot in there. They seem sort of exhausted by it. And their medic, medical people, like, didn't feel comfortable in their assessment. You know, that's the the weird thing about this is like it's not an it's not a current injury based on what everyone is saying. It's the belief that at some point this will get bad. Right? That's a that's kind of new territory because you know, like if you're a pitcher, maybe we've talked about this before, but if you're a pitcher, right, and you've got an elbow, right, issue, right? And you flunk your physical, you'd be like, okay, look, he's got a partially torn, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? What's the ligament called? Ulnar collateral ligament. UCL. Sorry, I, can't, I went through ACL, MCL, and PCL. I've been reading, rereading Friday Night Lights. In Arminiscus. So you got the UC, you got a partially torn UCL. Okay, so what happens if you tear the UCL? You get Tommy John surgery. Well, you know what the rehab is for this. Ankle's not really a thing. It's not really like there's not like oh well if you have a you know an ankle uh, Tommy John it it takes this amount of time so it's just harder to you know it, it it's unclear what his mobility will be if he gets hurt you know whatever it's weird territory it's not even a thing that gets talked about unless he gets smoked in that ankle and it feels like a piano tuning fork <laughs> right 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 like I mean that's the only reason. That this thing even got resurfaced. Now, of course, it's in every report and all that. But what gave it new life was, if I recall correctly, he got plunked or something. No, he slid or, hard. Or into slid hard. Base. That's what it is. And then felt it and described the plate in his ankle. And so it almost revived this thing that happened so long ago. And then... It's really a, it was a vivid description to his credit. Like we talked about the vibration in there. Like, and every time I read it, like my ankle hurt. Like, so <laughs> I, I just, uh, I don't know. It's just amazing to me that, you know, without that freak incident, I don't know if this is the conversation, you know, I mean, for all I know it is, right? Like it's still in the report and all that stuff. But I feel like it gained a little bit of traction just because of that incident during the season. My chronology of it is that the Giants had concerns and our own fantastic Dan Hayes said, wait a second, I included a quote from this in one of my September pieces. And then he was like messaging it to me like, this is not nothing. And so it just it happened to back up that the Giants weren't just being ninnies. (laughs) <laughs> I I think to Andy's point, like if you want to make this analogous to uh, a pitcher with Tommy John surgery, this would be like his ligament is replaced from a cadaver, but the ligament's haunted, right? Like <laughs> the cadaver did bad things in its life, and now you have a haunted ligament in the ankle, so to speak, metaphorically. I like that. I like that. Yeah, that's a good. <laughs> that's a good analogy. Um, what about Devers with the Red Sox? Any any juice with that, or is it, they had to do it, and that's that story? No, they didn't. They no, did. They did. <laughs> what? No, come on, we We're, are you not pro hey, labor? That's a good point. We may get to that later. We may get to that later when we talk about owners misspeaking. Good for Rafael Devers. That deal is bonkers, but whatever. They can afford it. 
I don't get the logic of picking... And Rafael Devers is a really good player. This is not, you know, like, whatever, all the necessary caveats. But he's not as good as Xander Bogarts, and he's not as good as Mookie Betts, both in terms of his offense and his... Well, maybe not in terms of his offense, but at least certainly in terms of his defensive utility. Why you're going to pay him the 330 over those two guys, I don't know if I totally understand that. But well, I guess they had to do it. He's younger than those guys were, and then they had to do it. I think what you're looking at is a bit of a well, storm. Well, that's true. No, it, co- it, bought them, it bought them seven minutes of goodwill before Trevor Story <laughs> got hurt. That's true. No, everyone in Boston is running around being like, oh, my gosh, we re-signed Devas. That's not what a Boston – what is a Boston accent? That was brutal. No, no, hold on. Give me a second. Oh, we're uh, re-signed got, Devis, did we? That, what is no. that? When oh. I try and do a Boston accent, the way I get into it is I think about the principal at Milton High who uh, accosted me for looking through the yearbook uh, about Rich Hill. He goes, ah, you trying to get dirt on Richie? <laughs> I just go full Quimby. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm happy they signed Devis. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, they had to do it, right? Because, oh, geez, you know, yeah. I mean, whatever, good for him. Good for good for Devers. He's a good player. He's 26. He'll, you know, maybe spend several more years at third base. Why are we dismissing the fact that they had to do it? Because it feels like you are looking at that and think it's ridiculous when, I mean, those folks are have been on fire all offseason long. And, you know, if Bloom wants to continue running the team, you figure at some point he's going to have to do this. Why do you think Heim Bloom is in charge? Like, well, okay, Heim fine, Bl- right. Come okay, on. so at some point you have to get the owners on board, and, and they're feeling the heat. Like, and we know that like that kind of thing actually happens in this sport. I mean, doesn't it? Like, people feel pressure. Owners feel pressure, and when the narrative is what it was all off season long, there. I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know if I, I would be as dismissive about them having to do it. I mean, it just feels like compounding mistakes. Right? You Doesn't make the every, mistake. Every deal like that feel like compounding mistakes though? I mean no. like that I don't feel like the Yankees signing Garrett Cole was compounding a mistake. I feel like it was getting a great player at a record contract. Like you okay, you make the mistake of trading bets and losing the trade. Okay, you make the mistake of for several months or you know, a year misreading the Bogarts market. And now, okay, we'll fix it by taking a, a player who's not as good as the other two, uh, who has you know accomplished less. Like, yes, he's younger, which also means he has a shorter track record. Uh, and extending him to this, you know, whatever, they can afford it. I'm just, I, I don't know, this idea that they had to do it. Well, if they had to do it, they, they also had to keep Bogarts, right? They also, like, you know, had to sign bets a couple years ago. Like, you don't have to do anything. You can, but like, I don't know. Anyway, they had to. I don't understand why all of a sudden, like, the pressure is real now. Because the correct answer was to sign bets, right? That is, you keep bets, you keep bets, you keep bets. That's the real correct answer. And then after that, if you let Bogarts go and then you sign Devers and you've locked up two of these guys and said, well, this one got away. I, listen, you're going to get a little bit more goodwill with that. But when you trade bets for for Alex Vertigo and, and you've already released Jeter Downs or DFA'd him and you just you get to a point where you're not just buying Raphael Devers, who to me, I think you're minimizing how good he is. He's a, a 5-1 player, a, a 140 OPS plus guy who's 25 uh, or just turned 26. Like he's a good player. But if you let that guy go, if you're the Red Sox and you let that guy go, 
you are the you are the pirates. You are just announcing to the world that Bob Nutting has bought your team, and I don't <laughs> think you can have that. I just it, it maybe can't is too strong a word. You certainly can, but it it doesn't help the brand that the Red Sox have have uh, uh, furnished all these years. All right, Devers is pretty good. I just looked up his numbers. <laughs> He's a good player. He's, he's, really he's good player. a good player. No, I, I like him a lot. But yeah, I just, I don't know. The Red Sox are fascinating to me. But you, uh, you had a couple of good ideas. You're the glue of the show. Uh, Andy McCullough, glue of the show. You came up with uh, a couple of ideas in our Slack, our pre-planning Slack. Uh, I was absent from the idea generation because these ideas were so good. Why, why would I contribute to these already fully formed ideas? Andy, which one do you want to start with first? I got this in a question of a mailbag last week, and it was from uh, Alex G. And it's, uh, 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 hi, Andy. Uh, what are the trends in baseball analysis or front office behavior that you think will look silly 10 years down the road? On the podcast, you often bring up Fire Joe Morgan style thinking. What, if anything, do you think, do you see now that might be similar? I have one sort of idea, but I'd be curious if anything immediately jumped to mind for you guys. I'm at a loss because I generally don't think I know how front offices work these days. I think I've been left in the dust. Seriously. Like, I I, I feel like they are looking from a, a, a manual that I haven't had access to. You know, they're not sharing it with me. So I'm still stuck a little bit in uh, 2017, thinking like it's a post-Moneyball, but uh, pre-whatever they're looking at. Boy, I don't know. I My whole bugaboo was always... The layman using war for catchers is going to be just dumb as hell in like 20 years. Like when we're going, we're trying to compare like, well, Josh Donaldson's, you know, a three-win player, but Yadier Molina is like a two-win player. Dumb as hell. And we're going to look back and that's going to be a bad high school haircut soon, I think. I think it already is in a way, but that's my initial thought. But I don't know front offices well enough to know what they're... Because I remember when the A's just gave up on defense a couple years ago when they were contending and that didn't work out. And then you see teams kind of pivot toward all defense, like the the Guardians in a, in a way. And that kind of doesn't work out. So I, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for this question. I don't understand the question. <laughs> like, yeah, well, I, I just don't understand. I, I haven't covered baseball, baseball in many bullshit. years. <laughs> so like, what, explain to me, like, what the hell are we asking here? Like, what? Okay, so Mark, you remember the website fire? Yeah, right? of course. Okay. So the, the point that I had often made is that <clears throat> these sort of craven behaviors of the owners made it so that the type of thinking that would get you, if you'd written a column in 2008 advocating that type of thinking, would get you torched on fire. Joe okay. Morgan. All right. Okay. So this idea of like, he's a good, you know, he's a good player. You should give him a seven year contract, right? Because whereas like on Fire Joe Morgan, they would like pinpoint all of the like, well, here's why that deal might not work, blah, blah, blah. And the reason the shift happened is mostly just because the owners were, you know, like had fake austerity for several years in that kind of 2016 to 2018 period. And that led it so that when like Madison Bumgarner got a big contract or, you know, Dallas Keuchel got a multi year deal. The reaction was like, great, you know, they, uh, they gave him a big deal. Whereas, you know, front offices are like, well, here's why, you know, that might not be a great idea. But if you wrote that, you know, you'd be like anti-labor, if that makes sense. So just like stuff that you see that is sort of lauded now that maybe down the road will be like, why are we doing that? Bootlicking about optionality. Like, <laughs> huh? like just a fancy ass name for we're not doing shit. Like, come on, come on. Like options, shut up. 
<laughs> right? Like you're choosing to not make your team better. That's what it is, you know? And like, okay, sure. Okay. We'll make him better later. Maybe. All right. But like, what if you don't, then what have you done? He's been passive. It's ridiculous. And so like, is that, does that fit your definition? Are you talking about optionality or threading the needle? Both. Are they the same? Not really. I mean, whatever. Like, they're all just like front office gobbledygook to me. Well, that's fair. You bringing up optionality just makes me think of options. And that actually gives me an answer for this question. The way the Giants operate is to just cycle through waiver claims and DFAs. And they're grabbing this guy because they have a spot in the 40-man roster. And then they're getting rid of him a week later because they have another shiny toy who came across the waiver wire. I think that sucks on a human level to yo-yo these guys around. And also the idea of we have these relievers and these players with options. And we're going to build an 18-man bullpen by optioning up this guy and down and up and down. I think that sucks And I want to say that that will have on-field effects, ramifications throughout the organization that we aren't quite in tune with yet. That's going to be my hot take because, I mean, pro-labor, right? That's a pro-labor take. And uh, why aren't we thinking about the labor in this? And so that, I think, is my my, uh, fire Joe Morgan. Wouldn't fire Joe Morgan be like, that's a great take? It's not. This is modern. Well, this is what we're saying. You know, Mark, you need to clean it up. What? It's been, I, I've been out of this for a couple weeks. Sorry. A couple weeks? Well, for anyway. a while. Yeah. <laughs> Can it's I make a revelation a here? Weeks. Like an, an on-podcast, drop a little uh What uh, you got? What you got? Back in the day, I started up an anonymous blog called Fire Fire Joe Morgan. And Whoa. In which I took to task the Fire Joe Morgan posts that bugged me the most. I think I did two before losing steam. I can't find it anymore, but I was not on the Fire Joe Morgan train. They bugged me back in the, and look, I, I love uh, The Office. I love uh, the right. works of Michael Schur. Like, don't get me wrong, sure, dude's sure. a genius. Uh, but I uh, I had a, like a little ghost blog for two posts. Wow, what was it that upset you? Just, uh, I didn't like the format of taking this and then adding commentary and the next paragraph and commentary. It felt like a way to just end a debate. There was no possibility of a response. It was just boom, boom, boom. And it was so easy to be like, yeah, yeah. And then it it lacked, like you couldn't critically analyze the critical analysis. Oh, so you just don't like the concept of fisking. Fisking? What's fisking? That's what, the, that's what that technique is called. It's called fisking. Okay. Okay. After, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't like after fisking. A, 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 an intellectual named Robert Fisk, I believe, uh, invented that technique. It's interesting to go back and read FJM at times. Uh, one, because it's still just very funny in a lot of different ways. Still, I mean, hard to believe guys who created uh, a bunch of hit television shows uh, were actually very funny. And it's also just interesting to see some of the ideas, some of the uh, the ways that they were dogmatic in a way that was as dogmatic as the you know stats versus scout bait uh, back then. I also uh, love um, reading the times they would go after my my good friend and former colleague Bill Plaschke, who uh, has a one has a great sense of humor, uh, two has um, really embraced like sort of newfangled thinking in a way that uh, a lot of folks with his esteem and ability to uh, turn a phrase maybe haven't. 
And sometimes, one time I had to break the news to him that uh, Fire Joe Morgan was the guys who like made The Office and Parks and Rec and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And he was like, what? Those are some of my favorite shows. How could they do that to me? (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Any excuse to get a Plashki impersonation on here. I'm, I'm down for it. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, the point, Grant, you made about catcher war, it was sort of, I think we're already past the, like, caring about framing stuff, uh, but, like, trying to quantify catchers is something that we've tried and failed to do for basically, like, 15 years at this point and with with no end in sight. I was uh, catcher-pilled in 2020 when the Giants used two minor league free agents when Buster Posey opted out. They were kind of like, it's not like they, they were caught by surprise too. So they didn't have a ton of great options. They uh, went with a pair of untested minor league free agents as a quasi platoon behind home plate. And I really saw in my heart's heart, 
how important catching could be. I'd been spoiled by watching Buster Posey all these years, and you just assume that catching is, well, you do this and you're a solid catcher. But not having a really good field general, a really good catcher, when you don't have that, all of a sudden you notice. It's like you, you, you see the magic eye painting and you're like, whoa, this stuff is important. This base that was given up is important. This one strike that wasn't you know handled is important. All of this stuff, crazy important on just how it affects the game minute to minute because they, they have so much uh, input into every game. I am catcher build, so I, you know, I appreciate a good Yachty or Molina. Yachty for Hall of Fame. <laughs> I voted for him for the MVP once. We, yeah. we don't care about framing anymore? Not to I me. don't. I never cared. Oh. I care. Okay. I don't no. know. I'm just trying. It's hard to keep track of what's cool and what's not. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, care. I still yeah. care about framing. I, I think it I was. I turn to you guys to tell me what, what we're supposed to care about these days. So. There was like a, a period where it was like, well, this guy's framing is worth 77 wins. You know, like there were yeah, at the yeah, extremes yeah, yeah. and you're like, oh, the, gosh. Jose Molina is actually like the most valuable player yes. in baseball. It's like, ah, maybe maybe your system's off. Yes. So I think, I think we've <laughs> dialed back from that. I think framing is okay. still uh, important, but uh, the poles of have, have narrowed okay all right i just didn't know i just, like, you know, <laughs> just want to be cool ignore the stuff that you know i'm supposed to ignore and care about the stuff i'm supposed to care about none of us are cool all of our times have like really passed so past man Kim, do you remember what it was like to just your team that you're covering would make a move and you would go look up that player's on base percentage and just be like well that moves stunk and that's it. That's the analysis. That is. I missed that. I was such a. I was such a smart man, and now look at me. I'm old and withered. Yeah, it used to. It used to be like you. You would look up and be like, "Well, this guy doesn't get on base. This is a terrible signing." And now you find people like being like, "Well, he hit the ball very hard last year." And it's like, what? Like he had a 200 on base percentage. Like yeah, but if you look at his, you know, barrel rate. It's like, what? The spin rate of his barrels, man. The spin rate of his barrels are just going to blow your freaking mind. This is my favorite one. You know, ERA was plus five and, you know, walked everyone in the ballpark. But that slider's got some very interesting characteristics. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You can dream on that slider. I think that's the thing that will be corrected back in the coming years is, like, stuff will – people will stop – completely not completely but like disregarding results uh and paying for stuff i don't know because you saw it when the padres traded for joe musgrove they were trading for a guy with a four era a consistently ho-hum starting pitcher and they're like no 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 you don't know joe musgrove they were right and when the giants signed kevin gossman to a contract and he's got an era of five six with the braves that gets him put on waivers and they're like no no no, we got this we're just gonna have him throw a split finger more and they're right and so they're until that sort of banana stuff stops working i just trust all, like, the dodgers are like yeah no we'll fix andrew Heaney. they're right and tyler anderson yeah he's got a great change up and they're right but what's going to happen is that as the uh becomes more homogenous of like all the teams understand now like hey, you got two really good pitches. What if you threw them 90% of the time rather than you got to have a thirty, you know, a 65% fastball or whatever? And so as that becomes more homogenous, the value – like there's just going to be fewer 
exploits available. You know, the Astros were doing that several years ago where they're like, oh, we'll get, you know, Garrett Cole and we'll get him to stop, you know, throwing two seamers. Like, we'll get Ryan Presley and, you know, we'll change this with Justin Verlander, et cetera, et cetera. That's just going to become less prevalent because more teams now, like, can all look at the pitch data and just be like, okay, that guy's got a really good slider. What's a good indication of when that's passed? When the Rockies start doing it? (laughs) <laughs> like if Colorado pulls that off, he's like, oh man, everyone knows it now. Nah, secret's out, fellas. That's like a philosophical the jig- theorem, like the you know right? the Rockies line. Yeah, the jig is up. <laughs> yeah, the Phillies getting an analytics department several years ago was a real you know line in the sand that just changed the sport. It's like okay, everyone's on board now. That is a good point because because what you're going to have is the front office types from these teams, the assistant's going to become above the assistant. The assistant to the assistant's going to become an assistant GM somewhere. The brain tree is going to spread out and infiltrate uh, teams, not the Rockies because they, they can't afford anyone, but just the other 29 teams will get these guys from the Astros, from the Dodgers, and it'll just spread like that, and that will dilute it. That's a good point. Look at what the Royals have done, you know, this offseason, you know, where it's like, hey, we're a small market team that really needs to be. Thank you. There's the bell. We're a small market team that really needs to be based around pitching. We have a lot of pitching talent. We're not, you know, maybe squeezing as much out of as we can. Hey, let's start hiring some people from the Guardians in the race. So it just it becomes I think it becomes a more homogenous sport in some ways. I wonder, though, like. I mean, okay, you're right about that because the information that gets used becomes so much more widespread. But the thing that when you talk to folks about this, one thing they insist upon is that execution still matters, right? And like, isn't that sort of where the different, like, even if you're using the same data sets and like a lot of the science behind this is the same, we know there are some organizations who are better communicating this stuff than others. There are some places where you can have that conversation and it gets to the people it needs to get to in a form that they can take action on. And there are other places, and we see this too, that you know they make a big deal, oh, we're in, we're in, we're in, we're all doing all this stuff, but they still can't get it in a usable form to their players and there, or there's something in the chain that breaks down. So I kind of wonder how long that process sort of takes to where everyone can do this effectively. There's another human part of it too, and this is just sort of the folks you're dealing with, but like there's an ego part of this. There's an ego part of being the front office that can pull this off, that can take Tyler Anderson and turn him into this. And I think so long as there's an element of you're going to get some points for doing that, right? Grant, I think like, I, I don't know. I, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. It's going to catch up where you know everyone's doing it eventually. I think the window gets extended a little bit because you have the execution aspect of it that like you can't standardize, even if the data is all the same. And the second part of it is just that raw ego part where it's like, you know, organizations are going to think, hey, we've got the answers. We're going to take these risks. We're going to. And, you know, you know, damn well, that happens with these guys. And like, I don't think that's a bad thing, actually. I think like it's great. But like, I, I think that's going to extend this window out that Grant is talking about where this is still a thing for a while. I think that what you're talking about, I really do think the Giants are high on their own estimation of how they can um, improve pitchers. And they should be. They should be. They have a recent track record, but they're like, oh, oh, you can pay Carlos Rodon uh, that much money. Or you could pay Ross Stripling and Sean Manaya a third of that, get two pitchers, and be in your owner's good graces because you've spent uh, a lot less money for a lot less risk and a lot shorter time. So I don't know. that that I, I do see that as being a challenge for them. But that's also an old concept of like if, hey, 
you've got something that's worth a dollar. Well, what if I give you two things that are worth 60 cents, which is worth more? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just, I mean, that's like as old as time. And they might also be right about that, by the way, because there is less risk in signing Ross Stripling and Sean Mania for a combined, what, two years and 45 million than there is in signing Rodon for, you know, 7150 or 6150. So, like, yeah. I do it too. Like, I go to the record store. And I will go and I will go through the bargain bins and I'll end up with $30 worth of records. And it's like, check this out. I've got the soundtrack to American Gigolo. And I've got like this Herb Alpert record that's kind of silly cover. Look at this. And then someone says, well, couldn't you have bought like a $30 reissue of a Miles Davis? Like, you know, you'll like that. He's really good. He's literally Miles Davis. And they're right. But I have 30 albums. Some of them are silly. And that's better for me. Your response should be, think of the optionality. (laughs) I mean, come on. I have a soundtrack for the seventh voyage of Sinbad right here. Just buy my podcast apartment and you don't. Like, so I win. Yeah, you're stunned. You're stunned. Is that Sinbad the comic? No, it's a it's an original Bernard Herrmann score. It's a very important in soundtrack. Became a Sinbad. Anyway. (laughs) He was the genie movie. Yeah, he got killed in the genie movie. Remember that? Yeah, is that that's the Mandela effect, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Hey, uh, we um, we were gonna have a guest uh, on the pod today. By the way, we invited uh, John Angelos to be here today. Unfortunately, <laughs> January seventeenth, when we're recording Tuesday, is Benjamin Franklin Day. Uh, I'm, I'm not making that up. And he thought it would be inappropriate at a time when there is. Not enough electricity around the world to discuss baseball matters on this day. So maybe next week. That, that's fair. Here. How brutal is that, man? How brutal is that? I mean, so, Dan Connolly wrote a great column about it. About uh, <laughs> Brutal to watch. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't get through it. I literally couldn't get through it. The, the good news is once he's done opening the books for the Oriole beat writers, maybe he'll have time to come onto our pod. Yes, he's all about transparency. So, you know, once he's done showing him the books, maybe we're next, man. So don't give up on him. That's what I'm saying. Cut him some slack. I'm starting. Call me if I'm talking out of school here. Like, call me out if I'm talking out of school here. But I'm starting to think that sometimes the people who are in power and have the money aren't always necessarily there because of merit. (laughs) Sometimes it's who your dad is. Sometimes I'm just, it's a theory. I'm formulating it. Like maybe he's not there because he's the best person to run the Orioles, but I'm, I don't want to talk out of school. Don't want to talk out of school. I really, really, really try hard not to fall into that thing where you just label somebody the very easy cheap shot, right? And the board on third base is a classic one. Classic. And, you know, certainly. Not everybody who was born on third base is that, right? Like, I think certainly that you can't, that's not fair. However, man, that's hard to do when, when, when somebody shows their ass like that <laughs> and shows that, yes, I was born on third base and here is a silver spoon that I shoved in my mouth. Here you go. And that's what happened yesterday. If you haven't seen the exchange, it is cringy. God, is it cringy. And this is John Angelos versus our Dan Conley, who, by the way... I mean, it's not even versus. Right, that, <laughs> like right. Dan, is, Dan held his own. He did. Comported himself perfectly professionally. Like but he's pro. not, like, 
being antagonistic in that like he's asking a question to the owner that's pretty vital to you know like the the future of the franchise yes he asked a question in a press availability okay and the owner freaks out so like you know again you want to i i want to give people the benefit of the doubt but then when they make it impossible like john angelos did yesterday that's that's brutal he's everything that you associate with that label at least that's what that interaction looked like and the thing is you know, this is with people in the room and cameras on. You know, the thing that's also true about baseball is that these are all just small little companies, right? Really, like a lot of them are just like, you know, where you feel it when the people running them behave this way. It creates a toxic environment. It creates an environment where you can't get things done, where there's turf wars, there's no communications. All Anyone who's worked at a place like that, you guys are feeling it right now. Well, that happens in baseball. You got 30 of them, and some of them are good, and some of them are this. So when I'm watching that yesterday, it's not just that, wow, he's kind of being an idiot in front of all these people. But imagine what that is in in closed doors with people that work for him. Imagine that act for a second. And then you look at the Baltimore Orioles, and you're like, man, they haven't been good in quite some time. You start to figure out why. Okay, maybe it is because the owner creates an environment like this, because if that's what you're doing in front of the cameras, then... Good Lord, imagine what's happening behind closed doors every day. I think the number one rule in baseball, anything, anything, any discipline, any study, any science, is that you don't know it all. You will never know it all. Every system is too complicated. How many, we have what, uh, 75 combined years of covering baseball experience on this podcast, and we're morons. We would run a team into the ground, and we've done nothing but think about baseball for decades, decades, just, and all that experience has taught us that we don't necessarily know anything. Some people lack that. That's the Dunning-Kruger, whatever you want to call it, but it's just, it's so on display sometimes that it hurts. And some people just think like, yeah, you know, I can do it all. I can, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of a, of a weird hypothetical scenario. I can buy a social media network and because I do rocket ships and, 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 and fancy electric cars and I can run that beautifully because I'm a freaking genius and you just see it. You're not always in control of everything. It's not limited to Baltimore, obviously, right? It manifests in different ways. It manifests in... Very often when owners talk publicly, you know, it's, it's John Angelos's behavior the other day. It's Phil Castellini, you know, sort of like almost openly antagonizing Reds fans and saying, you know, where are you going to go? And then the other day he said like they're a nonprofit or something. It's, you know, the Dodgers ownership, the Dodgers ownership just declining to address Trevor Bauer. They're just never going to talk about Trevor Bauer. The decision they made to Hippa. release him, you know, uh, you know, it's just it's a sort of class wide disdain for like the press, the customer, whoever. But people who they do not feel are privileged enough to be involved in these situations, and it's you know, fans lose out, and it's not an appealing look for the sport. You want to talk about the optics of the sport? It's not great, you know, to see this, but. Who's going to police them? That's, you know, maybe a bigger question, right? <laughs> like, they run the sport. I want to push back on it. Not even push back. I'm just curious. Like, you talk about the optics of this, how it looks bad. Like, does it? Because, like, literally every time there's a, a confrontation between ownership and players, it feels like even in this day and age, 
public lines up for the owner's side. It's about the laundry. It's about the team. And I say this in the, okay, here's another thing. Professional politician types make a huge deal out of debates. Oh man, you got to win the debate. You can't look like an idiot, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I don't know. You have people stepping in holes in debates all the time. Doesn't seem to matter come election day. So I kind of wonder, like, have people become either desensitized to it or it's just sort of like the way we handle things in general where something's a big deal for like two minutes and then it just disappears into the ether. And because these folks don't talk very often, they can kind of go in there, step in the hole, say their stupid thing. You know, it's, you know, baseball owners say stupid things week. It gets done and then we don't do it again for another four years. Because, like, you know, some of this stuff is just like terrible. But like there never seems to be any actual follow up with it. Like fans don't really like stay. Are you suggesting that billionaires might have a little too much power and control in American society? <laughs> you know, come now look, it's, it's look, it's hard for me to relate to like the ownership class of sports teams. The only thing we really have in common is like. I'm white and I'm pretty sure my grandfather cheated on his taxes, you know? So like other than that, right, very different lived experiences. So you try and give the benefit of the doubt, but like tough, man, tough, tough, tough hang. When owners step in it and they become the story of the week, the month, the year, whatever, that's all kind of cured by winning, right? And it's also cured by them shutting up because I just realized as you were saying this, I haven't thought the name Jed York in a long time as a Niners mm. fan. You know what I mean? Wow. I used to think about the name Jed York a lot because he'd make a stupid comment or the Niners are doing this and this is stupid. And this Boy, I sure have forgotten about that guy. And I'm pretty sure he wields still some power behind the scenes. But the Niners are winning. They're looking good. They're making the right moves. All of a sudden, they, yeah, so... He stopped hiring the Jim Tom Sulas of the world. That helps. <laughs> I will say this. I will say this. Like, you know, winning does change things. And with the uh, caveats of the Rays and the A's, who, you know, the A's obviously are tanking now. But for quite some time, both teams have been very competitive or were very competitive. And it didn't really lead to a major change in attendance. But, like, you look at the bottom third of major league attendance this past year. You'll see Pittsburgh there. You'll see Cincinnati there. You'll see the Orioles there. So it does have some effect. Now, maybe that will change with, you know, if the team wins. But, like, well, it's going to be an interesting test case for Baltimore this year because they should be competitive, right? They won 83 last year. Uh, we'll see if it, you know, leads to a change, like, at the you know, ticket sales. I don't know. Yeah. They will be one of my MLB TV teams, like, all year. Like, I just I, – I love what the Orioles are putting down. So – uh, we shall see if all of a sudden we're like, which Angelos is it? Dale Angelos? Who is it? Andy, how, how many times have you been on the receiving end of what Conley had yesterday? From an owner? I don't no, no, know. No, no, from anybody. If... From any, like, same similar setting. Like, it's, it's, because, like, oh. see, the thing that's tough there with Dale, like, he doesn't want to be part of the story. No, right? Like, no. he doesn't, no one wants to be part of the story, but, like, he's also got to ask the question. He's also got to sit there and wear it. So, like, it's unavoidable. He's part of the story. It sucks. Which I thought, again, he handled it really well. But, like, I'm curious. Do you, do you remember ever being ensnared in something like that? Yeah, I've had a couple, but never with the owner on TV and never with a person who you just don't see all that often. 
you know, I've had ones with the GM where it's like, we're not talking about that today. And then, you know, you go into the hallway and yell at each other for a while and figure it out. Right. Like, or with the, you know, the manager or a player, you know, it's the thing is with the owners, they are so removed from this. They don't talk to the public. So they don't have relationships with the people who cover the team. So, you know, and they don't want them. Clearly, they have no interest. That's actually changed in the last 10 years. It, I, when I think about like who's owned clubs in the past, like it wasn't that unusual to talk to those guys. I, I mean, it wasn't insane like it would be now. Like I actually think it's changed a bit. The Phillies clubhouse, and this again, this is a very unique circumstance in that the Phillies are literally in the World Series and they just won a game. But like John Middleton was just kind of hanging out in the room. And, you know, he finished an interview with someone and I just went up to him and talked to him for, you know, like 10 minutes. He was, you know, it was really interesting to hear his perspective or whatever. And I was just thinking, like, when was the last time I saw this? Like, you know, I, I, I don't remember that with like Mark Walter at a Dodgers game or something like that. No, like, look, it's not it doesn't make John Middleton citizen of the year. Right. To like be there to kind of be like, hey, the team I own just won. But like at the very least, like puts. A, a touch of personableness, if that's a word. Uh, and and there is theoretically the chance to, you know, like have some better connection with the public if you actually interact with the press. You know what I mean? Yeah. The Giants have an ownership group and they have a, a public face of that group. And that's Larry Bear. And that's kind of their strategy. And then when you kind of peel back the layers, it's like, oh, actually, the, the majority ownership stake is Charles Johnson, who is uh, just giving all the Giants profits to Herschel Walker, which maybe isn't great. Um, but yeah, like you have that public facing Larry Bear and that's been their strategy to have someone who's personal because it does make a difference. It's like this is the the guy kind of pulling the strings of the guy who pulls the strings and that's important. All right. Well, I, I just killed the discussion. So this has been <laughs> episode 37 of the Roundtable. Uh, we will be back at uh, some point to talk about Carlos Correa's deal with the White Sox. Is it good for them? Is it not? We will tell you then. See you then. Rakuten Golden Eagles. No, dude, the Braves <laughs> are going to extend them to a team-friendly deal. Right, come on. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.